Welcome to the Chonda Living Podcast. My name is Charlie, and I'm joined with a guest today who's from America as well, East Coast, represents. Yeah. Say what's up. Introduce yourself. Hey, everybody. Uh, it's great uh, to be on this podcast again. Uh, my name is Michael. Uh, been living out in New York for the past five years, uh, originally from Canada, and uh, it's good to be on this podcast. Thanks, Charlie. East Coast of Canada, right? Did I, did yeah. I get that right? Okay. Yeah, that's right. Mike from Walnut. Mike of Walnut. Mike from Walnut Coworking. Yeah, um, you know, we call ourselves uh, the international coworking community. Um, that's exactly what we, uh, I set out to do when For I first sure. got here. And, that's what um, you are, yeah. I've uh, try, been trying to work with the expat community ever since we got here uh, to, because I know uh, myself being an expat, uh, I also need the support uh, of a lot of uh, local, but at the same time, uh, I would need a lot of international experiences or people who understand me from an international perspective. Right. So let's start at the beginning. You are an entrepreneur. That's right. You went to NYU. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. And then you you graduated and had the idea just to do co-working right off the bat. I'll, I'll just say, you know, right at the beginning here, you are at an interesting kind of midpoint between American and Chinese. Like you're Chinese Canadian. Yeah. Right. So yeah. you have kind of a cultural understanding of China that is a little bit unique, yep. you know, unlike myself, it's like big white guy. He's been in China for a long time. And a lot of the guests on the podcast have been more like me. We don't have like an ethnic or cultural sure. Chinese background. Sure. Yeah. So you graduated from NYU. And then how did you end up in Chengdu? How did that happen? Um, honestly, it's the uh, the pole of China overall. I, th- I saw the opportunity and I just saw how much room there was to grow. Uh, I, I really believe that China in, in the near term will become more and more like America or like a developed country. And once we look back, um, uh, look at America and see all the services and the products that's been developed, uh, you can see that opportunity. And so it's a very simple arbitrage, if you will. Uh, that's kind of the basic understanding why I took away. And that's that, that, that was the huge pull for me. And um, being able to try new things in a different country. To me, China still is a new, uh, new country because I grew up in the West. And I was, I saw that being able to take ideas that worked in America and Canada and just apply it to China. Uh, I saw a big room for, uh, for, for financial, uh, opportunity, but as well as kind of con- being able to contribute and perhaps, um, make a mark. Uh, and if not, then I take away a good story. For sure. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. How did you get to Chengdu specifically? Um, well, I'm personally, I was born in Guizhou. Uh, I'm from Guiyang. And uh, I, I moved when I was very young, but I'm, I'm a Southerner. Um, so having uh, local dialects as well as local resources definitely helped make that decision. Mm-hmm. But also specific, specifically for Walnut, this project, I saw that when I came back, there was this concept in Beijing, Shanghai and Shenzhen. Uh, there, there, there was one brand in each city and Chengdu, there was nothing. And I knew that people here were very receptive of new things. They wanted to try new things. So I wanted to bring something new to the city and uh, obviously in the process be the first uh, co-working brand. And then we were able to su- successfully do that. And uh, now we're just trying to build this brand as internationally and uh, the, the way that I would uh, want it to be. That must have been really difficult at the beginning, I imagine. And I'm kind of curious, like, what were the first steps? You know, you get the idea, you see the opportunity, you're looking at China, mm-hmm. you're saying this is going to develop into a potentially very lucrative situation sure. for, for the kind of business that you're trying to build. What do you do first? I mean, you come to China, do you start researching like how to start a business, how to register a business? Do you find collaborators in China? 
what were the first steps like? Yeah, uh, that's a really good question, actually. Uh, I think for everyone who's coming into China, it's just a, a cluster of just confusion and chaos. Um, so I actually try to prepare myself as much as I could while I was in the West writing this business plan. So the business plan I actually came up with in the West and I had already contacted um, you know, lo- lo- local contacts and local resources while I was in New York. And I made sure that I set myself up as early as possible so that I could hit the ground possibly running. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, that was a thought that came. And after landing here, it was it was just kind of you get thrown in the dirt and you just got to fight. And you, you try to look for you're working to establish the company, register the company all at the same time when you're trying to build your team. And that was, I think, the hardest time. And there's no way, uh, no easy way to, uh, to, to say it or sugarcoat it. It's just it's going to be a fight. And you just got to be really mentally prepared um, to receive uh the the way local things are done and uh in in the process you're you're gonna hate it you're gonna be angry at it sometimes but uh, the overall the experience is is, uh, something to take away from yeah what a good learning experience even if it doesn't work out i exactly i recently heard that um one of my favorite american businesses here johnny five donuts yeah just closed down no i heard this yeah no, I'd not. He was a he was on the podcast previously. Also, great yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, really, yeah, in really interesting story. Okay, and uh, yeah, the donut shop shut down, which is like really, really sucks. A lot of people are really upset about it because it's been definitely it hasn't been around that long. I think two yeah. years. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But it's become like kind of an institution in that time. <sighs> yeah, and it's a shame that it's closing, but it's also kind of understandable just because. I feel like everybody understands like how difficult it is here. Yeah, you know, especially for foreigners, the the cultural boundaries are kind of obvious sometimes you know it's really tough for foreigners to like run and maintain a business especially as you look like over years and i think in the case of johnny i haven't really like talked you know talked to him about this too much but like my impression is that he was just kind of like on a treadmill just like constantly hustling you know i mean really really hard right and after a couple years he just like got worn out and was like you know this is oh, tough. Man. I can't. I can't agree with you more about the being worn out part. I, I when I came back, you know, I gave myself a ten year plan. I said I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stick stick around for ten years. And two and a half years, and uh, I really feel like it's been eight years. Um, it just you know the country, uh, the city, it wears you out. The complication in terms of relationships, in terms of uh, just the local development, um, yeah, things wears you out. I think that's the first point. But to add to that, I really want to say. To everyone who's listening in on this podcast and who are thinking about, you know, uh, coming to China and, and Chengdu specific, uh, to do business, uh, you really gotta be mentally prepared to localize. I think, uh, it's, it's so important, uh, for us who are coming from the West. We have this understanding from the West, um, that things, you know, a lot of things are straightforward, but in China they're not. And even the business, the service that you provide, you gotta localize. Um, you see, uh, everything from KFC to Pizza Hut. When they, they localize their food, and it's not just a cookie cutter you bring from America. So you, know? you mean localize? I assume you don't mean just translate into Chinese. No. You mean like understand how the tastes and interests of Chinese people are different and, and cater to that? Yeah, just to give an example of how Walnut has localized ever uh, uh, from the time that it started to now, um, the way that we provide our services has changed, and the way we provide our pricing has changed. Uh, when I first came. You know, I looked at uh, Western uh, business models in the co-working space, and it's almost a membership. It's all membership-based, right? And it's kind of like one price covers everything for the rest of the month, and, and you don't have to worry about anything. In the West, because we're lazy, we're like, that's great. That's exactly what I'm looking for. You just got to be clear with me what what, I, what I'm getting, and as I'm as long as I'm okay with it, that's good. And so there's not there's not that much complication. But when I got to China a year later, 
I actually realized throughout the entire operation, uh, Chinese consumers don't work like that. Their mindset is, oh, can I not have the coffee for free? Can I not have the tea for free? And then mm. perhaps I could get the seat or the, or the service for a cheaper price. Interesting. Right. So um, whereas in the West, we thought about, hey, maybe packaging everything else uh, together for the consumer is an easier solution. Uh, the way Chinese think, the local uh, guys, they don't think about it that way. They 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 they're raised thinking about all the met, uh, the considerations. They, so they take everything into consideration to begin with. Mm-hmm. So you gotta give them that kind of pricing uh, perspective, and so you gotta offer them the choice and the flexibility. And even though we think we are offering the uh, flexibility already with the membership base, they want to break it down. So our pricing has changed. So now we say, all right, how much is a seat? How much is a, how much is a different? Uh, we still have memberships. Let me be clear with that. But we um, kind of carve out and we say, all right, how much the beer is going to be? How much the coffee is going to be? And set up, oh, now we're going to have our own coffee shop. We're going to have our own beer brand. And we're going to have our own tea brand. And these whole, all these things actually go into localizing and being able to uh, be on the same page as locals that when they come in and, and ask for pricing, ask for services. So the business Walnut now, how different is it from how you envisioned it? You had an idea for... I know you did a lot of research on WeWork and on U.S. Yeah. and international yeah. co-working spaces and kind of what they're doing yeah. and how the market works. Yeah. How different are you now from your understanding of it then? That's a, that's a great question. Um, a very. Uh, why? I, there's three points why very. Um, first, it's not as uh, simple as a real estate arbitrage game, which was what we understood in the West. Um, you know, you, you speak to the landlord. You get a very cheap price, market, um, you know, way below the market price, and then you lock in it for ten years, and then you know you you, you operate it well as long as your occupancy is uh, high, you're making money every month. And it's a cash flow game. So that's that's the f- fundamental underlying perspective of a co-working business, right? And that, but that has changed uh, just ridiculously because of how many players are in the market now. Hmm. And when that happens, the price gets disrupted, and you can no longer rely on the, that traditional model. Yes, you do still speak to the landlord and you negotiate the pricing. But once that's established, the services that you have to provide in the industry locally in China has to be way more than what is considered in the West. In the West, you know, you have a community manager, you welcome everybody, you make them feel friendly, you make, you, you create a great vibe. And that's, that's that's the way to keep occupancy high. But that's not how you do it in China. You would have to, uh, like I said, the reason we have already pivoted towards um, a lot of lifestyle, uh, the reason Walden has done that is because that's the you need content now. Uh, the content in the way that how they consume, uh, how they experience, not only how they're going to feel when they sit at a desk. You you know, with the way we, Walnut looks at our business now is, um, when, what do people eat at lunch? What do are people hungry to snack at, in the afternoon? And can we provide that kind of um, micro local convenience service to them mm-hmm. right at the door? Right. And uh, so our brand, um, to be honest, it's still Walnut, but the services that we provided have gone from just purely co-working, which is last time we talked about it while I was on this podcast, to literally an, a lifestyle brand. Yeah, I remember when I visited your new location, which was out in the West. Yeah. And it was it's like this massive complex. Yeah. I really encourage anybody who's listening to this to check it out. There are more locations, which we'll get into in a bit. Definitely. But one thing that really struck me about visiting, first of all, was the size and scale of the place. It was so large, and it had so many amenities and so many rooms and so many areas. And... Also, just the things you had on offer there, like you had your own beer, you were brewing your own beer and you had that there. And that's just like something that I didn't associate with co-working spaces. Right. No, that's exactly. So now we're putting, uh, we, we just actually just invested in uh, another company as well. 
uh, related is a strategic investment uh, to bring uh, Jim uh, into our offer. No kidding, that too. So there'll be a gym there. Yeah. So I don't know if you know about a local business called uh, More Fun, another startup. Um, more fun? More, no, more. I don't know. Uh, so essentially, the business model is like um, uh, spinning, or they provide classes, right, right? Okay. But then it's like a hit program. So you're going in for a high intensity training program, yeah. And they sweat you out for thirty minutes, and 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 the idea is, uh, you spend half an hour and uh, nearly the price of uh, Starbucks, and you get a really good workout from it. Nice. And so we want to bring that kind of content into our 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 space because yeah. the way we understand it is that, um. Work is now becoming an experience for the younger generation, for the for the guys who are born in the 80s and the 90s, uh, even the now the 2000s. They're growing up and the understanding of work, because you could get a lot of it done on your phone, when you're in a space, you're really looking for more than just work itself. Because uh, you, you could get productive work anywhere now nowadays. So when you're in a space, we want to be able to provide them with something they consume, consume constantly, different content, experiences. So um, health is a big one we're looking at. Um, in terms of the way you eat, in terms of the way you work out, in, in terms of the way that you recover. So these are all interests that I guess I'm, I'm bringing from, um, from America, uh, back to, back to China. Cause we grew up with those understandings. Right. But, uh, I think there's a big lacking in China for that, especially with people who are with the white collars. Cause they, they, they sit on their ass for, you know, 12 hours and, and they don't really have a conscience of, uh, uh working out. Uh, and being healthy and eating healthy. Yeah. So right when I was leaving, I worked at a tech company here for four and a half years yep. and it's called Tapper Fund. And a year ago, right when I left, they were in the process of building a gym in right. the office. And right. I was like one of the biggest voices like plugging for a gym. Mm -hmm. And um, I left kind of like shortly after it was built. We had like, as soon as it was built, we had another problem, which was people kept hurting themselves in the gym because they have no idea... What, they've never been inside a gym. They don't know what to do. Yeah. No, you're totally, you're absolutely right. And we get that. And that's why, actually, we were more focusing on the content than the space itself or the functionality itself because we felt like we, we've had that gym. Uh, now, gym is a standard uh, functionality in our, all our co-working spaces. But what we re we've realized is that just having a gym is not enough to push the local people to work out. You actually need someone or a content or a brand or something to bring people there and get them to work out you they, they need to be taught it really needs to be taught it's it's fascinating from you know coming back from the west because we grow up working out and it's just it's a natural thing but to them it really is and i see them using some of the uh the the, the workout systems i'm i'm really scared yeah. i go down and tell right. my, our community manager I'm like we should did we sign any like you know waivers or anything like that because i see that this person getting hurt by the end of this workout sure sure yeah yeah what is the breakdown between People who like companies who rent space and have their own employees in Walnut yeah. and just Lone Ranger type freelance people. Great question. Um, right now, current situation, I would say it's actually a 90 10 ratio towards, uh, uh, companies versus individuals. Wow. That is huge. 90 that to is. 10. 90 to 10. But, but I want to say Walnut was created, uh, under the belief, uh, to serve the freelancing, uh, community. Actually, we, I, I, I've, you know, even with you uh, and with a lot of uh, creative individuals in the city, uh, I love what you guys are doing. Um, I really want to support and be part of it. But it, that number is still, it's increasing, but obviously it's not the biggest right now in China. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, because when I think, when I, especially when I visit Walnut and like see the size of it, I'm just like, are there this many freelancers in Chengdu? Like, exactly. not that I, I don't know that many, yeah. you know? 
Yeah. So actually, so like this is another thing that, you know, talk about localization. This is exactly what I've done. Because when I came back, I thought freelancing was was it, right? Because we, I looked in America, 34% of the labor force is uh, free, freelancing. You know, you've got New York, San Francisco, everybody's on the bike and they're, they're, they're making a lot of money, more than white, white collars. And it's a very prestigious group of people to be called freelancers. But when you come back to China, um, that's not the case, you realize. Right. So our uh, current positioning of Walnut is actually to target small, medium enterprises. So because we see that popping up, free, freelancer is even ahead of small, medium enterprises. If you look at America, there was more small, medium enterprises. That kind of group of um, uh, um, enterprises have been around for a lot, lot longer than freelancers, right? Freelancers really came up after the 2008 financial crisis, and that's because a lot of people got forced out of work. So I think China still has a long time to go uh, or a period of time to go before that freelancer um, uh, market really explodes. And before that, right now, the explosion is actually in small, medium enterprises. It's still the same. It's actually a bunch of creative individuals that come out to create a company. Uh, so instead of going in on their own, they're just kind of grouping it together and establishing a creative company. So, in, for example, inside Walnut, there's fashion company, fashion design companies. There's uh, media companies. And these in, these are all just groups of creative individuals who are very young, energetic, and they're doing very interesting things. And, and the game development, uh, we have game development companies in our, in, our, in our space now, too. So we're seeing these. It, it's like a little city <laughs> in yeah, there. It's yeah, a like, little bit, a little bit. We have, so we try to get a good mix of. You go, um, how games. long until there are like restaurants and like barber shops and, you know. That's, yeah. That's where, where's up. the, that's where's the boundaries question. here? You know, it seems like the boundaries just keep getting further and further out once you get into food and beer and snacks and gyms and just the list of amenities. You're totally right. It, it, it's, it's actually limitless. We brainstorm that, like, we brainstorm that every week constantly. How, f- I, I have to be the one constantly uh, trying to kind of hold back the team to say, Hey, we gotta, you know, take it one step at a time. But in my mind, I'm, I'm exactly where the team is at, which is brainstorming every part because the way we see Walla in the future is that we want to be able to, uh, uh, a conglomerate of content, uh, that for the younger generation, the 18 to the 35 year olds. So we want to, uh, serve this group of people in their lifestyle. Uh, so it's very different than the West where we think, you know, let's go vertical. With a startup, uh, like a technology startup, you definitely want to go vertical, but with a business like what we're doing right now, being being vertical means you have to be very good at co-working, which I, I don't know what that means. I just, I guess, sell more tables or uh, sell at a higher price, which is actually really hard to do right now. So that's why we're actually doing more of a horizontal business model and bringing together or um, collecting a lot of content and being able to partner with them on a, on a real basis and then serving that content overall as a lifestyle to the to the 18 to 35 year olds who, who are target markets. Well, it seems like Walnut's a great place to spend your days working. One thing that I noticed was it just uh, felt really nice in there. Um, I was kind of curious about the design of the place. Sure. Um, in the tech industry in Chengdu, I've noticed a huge amount of nondescript offices, even in like creative companies. And I always thought this was very strange. My previous employer and my current employer actually like went to great length to build elaborate custom designed offices yeah. which are like flashy and like you know neat yeah. right yeah but surprisingly a lot of the game developers i mean i would say 90 percent of yeah. the ones which i visited in china yeah. are like just bland offices right they're just cubicle farms right basically yeah and i'm shocked that i mean i expect standard offices to look in this way because they do in the states also yeah but in creative spaces like film companies music companies game companies they never look like that yep. in the States. They're always unique yeah. and designed to be like Definitely. quirky and weird and interesting. 
How did you approach the design process of Walnut? Well, I think I think you said it best. Is we, we like I said, I came back with the target market of freelance uh, creative individuals in mind, and I was I was myself one uh, in New York. You know, I did Photoshop, I did design, and so I wanted to bring that kind of feel back. Uh, so the first space, I it was uh, I carried the whole process through. I was the one in charge of all the materials and uh, every single piece of furniture, um, color, decoration, furniture, furnishing was all kind of, I, I had to sign off on it. How'd you find this stuff? Did you, did you find it like online or how do you, how do you decorate a place like that? Let's say you come to China, you have a new business. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Honestly, the first one was by God's grace. Uh, I, I found, I came up on um, Red Star, you know, Hongxin Chongye Yuanchu. So there was a furniture shop that was, they were doing importing from Hong Kong. So they were getting these really beautiful uh, designer furniture in. But luckily, the day that I came up on it was the day that they were going out of business. Oh, um, yeah, so I, I, I walked in. I was like, this is this is exactly what I was looking for. I, actually, before I came up on that store, I was freaking out because I was like, I can't seem to find anything. And I went to Ikea, all the furniture stores. And I came up on their store and I was like, what? And they told me that they were you know, doing a final closeout sale and everything. And I was like, all right. Can I have the whole store? They're like, yeah, sure. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. So we went from there, and that kind of bought me time. And uh, and the more we progressed, and now obviously we have established a supply chain uh, of of um, uh, interior uh, designers who are able to source all these good, um, cheap, or economically uh, friendly uh, uh, furnitures from you know the the, the, the ports, uh, Shenzhen, Hong Kong, Shanghai, all these places. So now we're able to set up a very standardized, streamlined supply chain to give these um furnitures and, and the space a very very design unique feel nice yeah so you mentioned previously how people should mentally prepare themselves for setting up a business here because right. we, we both know that they're going to hit a lot of obstacles yes what are some of the biggest maybe mistakes you've made or things you've learned yeah. since you've gone through this process that yeah. other people may be able to benefit from oh that's a great question i love to share that um well, first and foremost, uh, from my from my own personal experience, I think um, it, you have to think think through how you want to develop your business in the future. Uh, when I say that, what I mean by that is, are you just opening? Are you going to be opening a shop? You're going to be running it, set, uh, or are you going to want to um, expand it? Uh, fundraise in China. These two mindsets are very very crucial in setting up the structure of your company, and the way you, the structure of your company is going to affect taxation the way that money comes in and the way the money goes out. And that process, if you don't have the first, what I said, you know, which mindset you have, you're going to be very confused. For example, you want to expand, but you set up a Wolfie, uh, you know, wholly owned foreign enterprise. And that's the one where you have a company out in Hong Kong, which you're protected, which is the mother company. Um, And then you come into China and set up a subsidiary company, which is controlled by the Hong Kong company. That's the way a wholly owned foreign enterprise is set up. And that's how I set it up at first. And then I realized, hey, actually, Walnut wants to be much bigger in this country, and it's going to go fundraise, and it's going to expand, and we're going to need a lot more capital. And then I realized that structure is never going to work because money can't go out to Hong Kong. Oh, interesting. The investor's money got to stay in China. So you had to change the company type from a woofy into something else? We had to completely take it apart and then set it up as a wholly domestic company. Can you do that as a Canadian? Yes, as long as you have Chinese partners. Okay, I see. Yeah, you could still be a foreign investor and still do that, but obviously, it ta- uh, the the risk increases, right? I mean, the whole whole reason of a wolfie um being available is so for foreigners 
uh, who have international identities or passports to protect themselves or better be protected. But if you have Chinese partners who obviously you trust and et cetera and all their credentials, then I would suggest, you know, if you want to expand in China and you want to make it big and you want to fundraise, definitely have a local company because it's going to make all the processes faster. Even setting up a holy phone enterprise takes a month, whereas a regular company, domestic company takes one to two weeks. Hmm. Right, setting it up, and then that, and then I, that's not even t- taking into account opening bank accounts, which is another pain sure. in the ass. Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. When you went through this process, were there any resources that were really helpful for you, or did you consult with a professional? Uh, yeah, I went. You know, I I start that process. I think it's it's for everybody. There's a ton of services out there. For example, Dingguagua. Um, that that's one of the first and foremost one. It's biggest in, in Chengdu. A lot of um us use them. But there's also uh, in the process you can ask a lot of uh, legal uh, help uh, and accountants uh, who will know better resources perhaps. Um, but either way, it's a service that you pay for. Uh, but at the end of the day, having gone through it, it's better to pay for that service and ha- get it out of the way than thinking you know save a couple thousand here RMB and save a couple there. Uh, and you think that's gonna help you in the beginning, but in the end, it's actually gonna cost you way more when you take it apart. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So that's, that's the, I think that's, if there's a message to, a real message to send away from today's podcast in terms of uh, setting up business in China, I think that would be the one I would give to everyone. Okay. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Yep. So you mentioned the 90-10 split between companies and individuals at Walnut. How does the pricing work? Let's say someone is listening to this and they're at a Chinese company who's yep. interested in Walnut potentially, yep. or if someone's a freelancer and yep. they're interested in coming. What does that look like? What do they do to sign up and how much does it cost and how does it work? Great, great question. Well, first and foremost, uh, definitely check out www.walnut.im. That's our website. Uh, on there, it's got all the pricings and how every, all the products, how it works out, uh, different memberships. Uh, but for a freelancer individual, it's actually very easy. You just set up an appointment, you come visit. Uh, after you, we give us, a, or give you a tour and you're happy with it, you can immediately, um, pay for it right offline with our community manager and we'll set you up with however long it is. And then obviously, depending on the length, um, we have different, uh, sales, uh, uh, that, that, that are going on. And, um, but the standard price for individual, uh, we have three sets of product, right? One we call it the liquid. The other one we call it the dedicated desk. The third one we call it the private studio. And the, th- the difference is that the liquid one, you don't actually get a reserve table. So you just come uh, whenever you have time and you sit anywhere there's a seat. Be, okay. be like water, Bruce Lee. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Flow, flow, <laughs> right. baby. Yeah. Um, and then dedicated desk is uh, there, you're reserved, uh, but there's no um, uh, doors or anything to close you off. So you're in an open floor plan. And then the third one is a private studio, which, you know, you're given an office and these that, so these three products range in price, uh, starting from 450 and all, all the way up to 880. 450, is that a month? Yes. And that includes, um, Wi-Fi, utilities, um, what have you. So it's, oh. it's one price that covers everything right now. It's pretty reasonable. I, I think it's, it's as cheap as it gets, uh, in terms of anyone who's a creative kind of moving in and out, but just wants a creative, uh, place to, 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 to do, the, uh, do their, for example, you're a designer, you go out and you take a lot of uh, photos and, and what have you, and you want a place to edit uh, that have a creative environment, that it's, it's the perfect uh, product to go with. Cool. Um, and if you have a creative team, say you're shooting movies and you're taking that content back, uh, you know, giving, getting a private studio and getting a whole room for your team, you know, 880 per desk. If you have four person, that's, you know, that comes out to be about $3,200, uh, sorry, 3,200 RMB, and that covers rent, utilities, Wi-Fi, everything. Uh, it's still a very reasonable price uh, to get the whole team off the ground. And you really just don't have to worry about dealing with the landlord or anything like that. Right. Yeah. 
So how about these new locations? Uh, very exciting things coming up. Uh, first and foremost, the current, uh, we, currently we have, um, three, uh, big ones around the city. When I, what I mean by big, they're called Walnut Pros. Uh, these, uh, are, uh, they, they start at 2,000 square, per, uh, square meters. Uh, they're huge. So that's, you know, about 20,000 square feet. Um, so these are the big ones that we, we call them Walnut Pros. This is where a lot of the teams work out of. And then we have, uh, 15, uh, called Walnut Minis. And these are all around the city. And you book those on demand per hour. And it's very convenient to give, um, teams a temporary place to meet, uh, to do product, uh, showing, to do product testing, to do, uh, to interact with, uh, customers uh, offline. If you, if you have that kind of need. So that's kind of the interactive, uh, web, uh, network that we've developed in Chengdu Walnut uh, overall. Our newest location is popping up in Hongxinglu. Uh, which is in the center of the city, five minutes away from the subway. Very convenient. Uh, right below us is a mall. Right above us, we're in a, a grade A office building. Uh, but once you walk in, you will not feel like it's a office building at Walnut. Nice. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, before we wrap this up, is there anything else that comes to mind that you think would be valuable to mention for someone who is maybe opening a business or running a business? Um, yeah. Uh, I think... Getting a trusted partner is uh, is absolutely crucial. Having been through two and a half years, I know it's very vague, uh, and to say that, I'm sure a lot of guys who are listening to this have come across that suggestion already. Uh, but I, I think it's it's never um, bad to mention it again and again because uh, trust in this uh, country, not gonna lie, it's hard to come by. For and sure. being able to find a very trusted partner that you really, you really, you can't lie to yourself about this. It's not like, hey, I had a beer with him, I have a good feeling with him. You really have to go through a lot of thinking, a lot of beers, uh, a lot of meetings, uh, just to find the the where he's at and where KTV, his comfort level. KTV, a lot of songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another and, way to measure that. Exactly. There you go. So, uh, which, whichever way makes you feel comfortable to uh, be in touch with the guy constantly, but I would say, you know, give it a three month time. Don't let time be an issue for uh, for guys who are trying to get business off the ground in China. It really is. There, there's no need to rush. I, I I'm someone. I'm speaking from experience because I came and I wanted to hit the ground running. And to be honest, in the process, I made a lot of mistakes. It cost a lot. Uh, but it, you know, I I took away from it, and that's a real experience I'm giving to everyone uh, to really find trustworthy partners. Yeah, what I've noticed, what I've observed is that people who, I know that you're like very ambitious, you're like a super hardworking guy. And as soon as you graduated, you were like, we're moving immediately to come over here. Sure. Everyone who does that and comes over here is going to be taking a lot of shots. Yes. You know, everyone is going to be, you're going to hit the ground. Yes. You know, you're going to get knocked down. Yes. China's just going to yes. get you yes. eventually. Yes. The real question is like, how do you respond to that? Um, you know, yes. like, can you, can you get up? Are you, do you have the perseverance to continue on? Can you learn from the mistakes and grow and build from that? Um, or is it just going to take you out? I can't say it better. And I think the best thing from, from this experience to take away is that, uh, wherever you end up, uh, whether that's back in the West, um, this experience is actually going to make you a much uh, stronger person. Um, and you're going to persevere a lot more because the things you're going to face in this country, uh, ultimately is going to be much harder than the West because West is developed. We have clear laws. Uh, we have clear uh, jurisdictions. But in China, uh, a lot of times it gets blurry, gets gray, and uh, you just got to figure it out. And if you don't, then you just you know, keep your head up and keep trying. Right. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Charlie. For anyone uh, listening to this, you can check out previous podcasts on our website at chundaliving.com. You can also find the podcast on iTunes or on Stitcher. If you enjoy the podcast, I really appreciate a review on iTunes. Thank you very much for listening.